This is the Oracle Podcast, and this is where your story matters. The table is prepared for you. Wishing you Godspeed. All right, we are back for another season. Thank you, everyone who's been supporting the Oracle, even on the break. Uh, it's been a blessing because we've had listeners, even though we haven't been putting out new episodes. And so thank you for all the people who've just found out about the Oracle, all the people who've been just listening to old episodes, all of that. I'm just so blessed to know that all of you guys have been supporting us here at the Oracle Podcast. Um, thank you for those who've been buying the hoodies, the pins and everything. More of that to come. Um I just always feel compelled to like make clothing, and I'm just so happy to do that and uh, just p- to have more funds just to put together towards the podcast and building that, um, really trying to find new ways for it to grow this coming year. Um, just wow. I've just been so, so blessed. I, that's, that's all I can say. Thank you guys so, so much from the bottom of my heart for all the support for the Oracle podcast. Um, I think God just really put on my heart this year. Uh, just like, you know, after everything that's happened in the world and uh, the fact that things have not been the same since September of us trying to go back to a normal school year and stuff. Um, but I'm just blessed that I have this opportunity to continue to find new ways to um, have people hear about God and have people hear from each other to build a community through the Oracle podcast. And so uh, I'm just going to try my best to use it this year for it to be a source of a connection of uh, reconnection for people, a source of community for everybody. And so uh, thank you again. Uh, We have a lot of amazing guests for this coming year and for this coming season. And uh, again, if you have any suggestions, feel free to let us know uh, who you want to hear or who should be on this Oracle podcast to to share their story. We got Pastor Amalia coming in from Florida, sharing her story on the Oracle podcast. And I think it's just an amazing way to start off season three. So thank you, Amalia, for uh, coming on and sharing uh, with us who you are um so i know you guys are really gonna enjoy this episode thank you guys all for tuning in and as always stay blessed cool okay so my name is amalia goldborn and i'm originally from southern california loma linda area uh the adventist hub of the west coast and now i'm moved i'm currently uh associate pastor at tampa first Seventh Day adventist church in florida so yeah nice um, thank you again for coming on and just sharing, being able to share your story. Um, you're a pastor and, uh, you know, I went to school and I had a lot of women with me and I was so like heartbroken because I know the way the system is towards uh, women pastors. And like, it killed me uh, because like, I just hated that even though like we did the same classes, et cetera, everything the same, there was always going to be some sort of stigmatism or uh, neglect once when once the second we graduated um so how what, what tell me about like your calling and your motivation to do and knowing that like our system is kind of negligent towards no not kind of straight up towards women pastors sure um so like i said i grew up in loma linda so mm-hmm. that i mean we're the quote-unquote liberals of adventism you know and so i actually had a large amount my uh, senior pastor growing up was Chris Oberg, who is a female pastor. So I, I never thought it was unusual because I saw so many female representatives around me, all different races, all different, like just all different kinds of women who were helping as female pastors. 
Um, but as I got older and I started noticing, oh, this isn't a worldwide thing. This is just a California thing. And so when I got the call in eighth grade, I was doing a career speech, just long story short, did a career speech, um, was shadowing my pastor. And I was like, this is such a cool job, but I'm a woman. So in order not to get involved in politics, this is an eighth year, eight, eighth grade mind speaking. I was like, in order not to get involved in politics, let me become a chaplain. <laughs> and so that was, that was my plan. That was my plan in eighth grade. And so freshman year, I started picking up a whole bunch of amazing female chaplain mentors who are still my mentors today. Um, and so that was my game plan in how to avoid this whole situation. Cause I'm not political. I'm not going to get involved in this mess. Um, it still broke my heart, but I was just like, I don't have the energy to expend on this. Mm -hmm. um, what was it that kind of helped you? About oh, sorry, actually, you continue. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. So <laughs> that was that was the thought process, and then I got to Oakwood, and I signed up to be pre-chaplaincy major. After the semester comes in, I go into the registrar's office to check my stuff, and it says, in every single, every single document, it says ministerial theology. Now, those that go to Oakwood probably know it's probably a loop there, but I took it as, like, a spiritual sign as, okay, God, you really need me here. And even mm -hmm. in my process of, um, before I made the decision to come out to Florida Conference, Florida Conference had asked um, to hire me. And my whole prayer was, Lord, um, I still don't want to be a pastor. <laughs> my gifts and my calling all seems to be directed toward chaplaincy. So why does this keep appearing where I like yeah. pastoring jobs keep happening? I don't want to do this. I don't want to get involved in this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, um, and I was reading a tweet. I was reading a tweet, what, last week or something? And they were saying a calling is never a choice. A calling is like this kind of cross that you bear. <laughs> and I feel that quite heavily because there was no way that I would be here except for the grace of God. I would be doing whatever I wanted to do in chaplaincy, whatever I wanted to do without the politics, without people commenting on my YouTube video during the first sermon or whatever about being a female. I wouldn't have those problems. No. I would be a chaplain. And so... Only, only by the grace of God, only by the grace of God and my pastor as a woman. Um, mm. And I think he's really helped me to be okay with it now. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> what, what happened on this YouTube video? Sorry, if you don't mind me asking. Oh yeah, it's fine. Um, we have a church member and um, there's a few church members, just a couple that aren't very much into women's ordination and women pastors. Um, I'm the second female pastor that's been in at a church. Our church is very active. Our church is very female-oriented, actually. Um, but we have a couple church members, like all churches, that have problems. And so mm. on my first sermon, um, there was a gentleman who posted um, just commenting that women elders, women pastors, they aren't ordained of God, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah, all my friends got really riled up. But honestly... I was just kind of like, I don't know. I don't get bothered by it anymore. Mm. To me, it's like, okay, this is something to pray for and to love. Like, you just showed me that I can literally love you as hard as I need to. 
because you're in this space where it's like, you're like, I don't know. When someone's so cut off about me, it just gives me more of an opportunity to say, hey, let me, let me reach out and touch you. Mm. So mm. I don't mind it. My friends went crazy, but I don't mind it. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. I'm just thinking like, if, if it wasn't for God, like that connection that we have with him, like, yeah, how can we get through any of that type of th- those moments? Mm-hmm. Um, and you're right. I think when we find the affirmation in God, it allows us to walk through people that outright speak against your calling, like you're saying. Because at the end of the day, you still have to bear, care, uh, like, carry that cross completely. And so, um, wow, that's, that's amazing. Even though people try and publicly try to uh, clap at you, God's got you still. Um, I want to know a little bit about before. Like, so you said grade eight. That's early. That's amazingly early that you felt that that's actually made. But what happened like in your life that allowed you to kind of get to this point where you could be so spiritually like aware? Like what, what was it? Like when did you become intentional with God in that in your, in your life? How that happened? Um, honestly, I don't even know to be exact. Honestly, I was asking my parents this question. I was like, guys, when did you know I was like spiritually like there? How did you know I was going to be a pastor? And they were like, well, it's not every day you see a fourth grader pulling out their Bible and highlighting it. And I was like, I mean, you're right. (laughs) But to me, I don't know. God has always just been there. Um, I remember my first, my first very first interaction with God. I'd been reading, I'd been praying, I'd been baptized at the age of 12. Um, and I was really deep in this connection with God. Mm. And um, we were out on Christmas break. It was early in the morning. I was reading my Bible and I was like, God, I'm reading this because all my friends, all the people I love dearly and people who I see so excited and just refreshed, they're all into you. So I'm reading this, this is cool, but I'm not feeling you. And so I remember, I remember this complete day, um, right before Christmas break or in Christmas break. And I felt a hug. Mm. I, I literally felt this warm embrace, just wave coming over me, wrapping me. And that's when I was like, okay, oh, I'm in this. <laughs> Because I've never experienced a love like that in my life. Mm. Um, just such an expressive love, such a giving love. I didn't deserve that love. He was just going to give that to me. And that's honestly where it took off. Ever since then, just reading scripture, just hanging out with my father. Um, it just, I don't know. It just warms my soul. So I really, mm. I really couldn't place a time or a day when I was like, yes, I'm going to start reading I was on the path of destruction, but here I am. I'm not, Mm. my story's not like that. Mm. But my story is of a God who continually called me. And I, as I started listening, I started getting drawn in closer over my life. Mm. Wow. And I think that's like the best way to do it, to to be honest. Like, I almost wish that I could say that that's what it was for me. Like, you know, like, I, I think that there's something very special about that when you're able to always recognize God. I think that's a huge thing because, um, I like, this is my next question to you. I think sometimes what happens is the structure of religion sometimes turns people away from having that connection that you're talking about. And so did I ever, that never was tempting towards you or, like, the structure, like, like kind of 
made it hard to have a spiritual connection? Did that ever, like the system of Adventism or Christianity? I did. I had a conservative phase in high school. Mm. <laughs> um, and I think pretty much everybody who's been Adventist before has seen the conservative side of Adventism. Um, and I was there. I was the person who was wearing the clothes all the way down, you know, in academy, you're wearing your uniforms and my uniform shirts are all the way down, but everybody else's are like, you know, slightly there. Um, I was, I was that person. I was the person reprimanding people and thinking, why would they think this fun is outside God's community. We need to be focused in on the message, you know, only gospel. Um, and, um, that really, I had to get out of that zone. Mm. I had to. And so I think that's the problem with religion is not so much that it can turn people away, but it can so inhibit somebody to not understanding how gloriously lovely and amazingly fun a life in Jesus Christ is. Mm. 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 Wow. How did, so, so what did you do to get out of that? Huh. That's another one. I'm not really sure. I remember, for a, I remember for a distinct moment, the reason I was hanging out with this Bible study group, they were super involved. They're still good friends of mine today. Um, but I remember one of them saying, this is the hierarchy of careers that God wants. Pastor, teacher. And then they start naming these other ones. And they're like, for the pastor one, it can only be male. And that's when my blinkers turned on. Cause I was like, wait a minute, I've heard the call. <laughs> I've had this call. You're not just going to tell me that I can't have this call. Not only that, but that there's a hierarchy mm. because I have seen my parents and they're not in any kind of organization in that hierarchy. They're not pastors, they're not teachers. They'd be kind of lower than that. And to see how much they loved God, I was like, there can't be a hierarchy for careers and what God wants. So that's ridiculous. And I'm on that list as a pastor. So that throw that all out. And I think that's when I began discovering that in my high school chaplain, um, just how fun a life in Christ could be. Mm. And it's not something we talk about because a lot of people are like, well, the young people nowadays are having too much fun and we need to stifle them and, you know, just get them under rain. And yeah. we forget the people in the corners that are the goody two shoes, the perfectionists that are so conformed to this idea that we forget that. Being in Christ is so much fun. Mm. You can enjoy your day because you're in Christ. You don't have to be watching out for threats or just like, oh my word, the temptation is all around me. You don't have to. Do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you yeah. Can enjoy life. Yeah. No, it's true. I, like, I think, like, man, like, I, <laughs> I've met people and, like, I understand. I think sometimes, um, and sometimes it happens, like, I don't know if you've met people like this, where they lived a certain life before, and because they meet God, they feel like they have to go under this, mm -hmm. like, t uh, tyranny rule under, mm -hmm. under him, and, like, like and it's sad, because, like, I feel for them, because it's, like, they seem, like, if I'm gonna get close to God, I have to not find, be joyful, like, I can't enjoy myself, like, I was out to wings with one of my homies, and, like, he was just, like, man, like, we shouldn't be here, I'm, like, what? We were just eating. And I was like, oh no, like I felt bad. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, like where, I don't know where it comes from that like, there has to be a lack of joy or like my own interest if I love God. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. I actually don't get where it comes from. I think, uh, I know for me, that idea of not having joy came from the fact that I saw my God as burdening. Mm. Um, and God is sovereign and God is love. Those are two facts of the matter. Those are two facts that will stand throughout eternity. But sometimes we forget that those coincide quite beautifully. Um, and when especially we pick up the sovereignty of God and we make him oppressive and we make him like, for me, I was thinking of him as like a checklist kind of person. So, oh, didn't do this. Okay. Oop, did this. Okay. Mm, didn't do this. Okay. Oop. And of course I would always say, well, I'm saved by grace. But at the back of my mind, I knew God was checking this checklist at the end of the day and telling me, oh, you need to be better at this because sanctification is a process. Here's the list. You're not meeting the process. Mm, Um, mm, mm. And so that perfectionistic tendency just drove me to the ground. Yeah. Um, And it drives a lot of people, like you said, where people forget that God is supposed to give us life and life abundantly. It's supposed to be joyous. Yeah, and like, and he wants to do that now. He doesn't want to wait till heaven. He wants us to have that experience, that joy now. That's a mm-hmm. huge, huge thing we have to realize. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shift the tone a little bit uh, in the sense of uh, I've just been thinking about like where you are and who you are and what you're doing. You're a black woman pastor in America um, right now, and uh, that's heavy. Um, especially with what's been happening in the world that's been shaking the world that happened in America. And like everyone's been, especially during quarantine, during COVID, with everyone slowing down, it's allowed everyone to open their eyes and see a lot more that's happening, right? Um, And then you made this uh, Instagram live video. Um, I love the name, Christ the Root Justice, the Fruit. I love that. Um, Could you unpack that? Just tell it all. Like I want you to tell your story even just about growing up in America and then tying that down on what is God calling us as Christians to do today, sure. especially with that? Yeah, I can do that. Um, so like I said, I grew up at Loma Linda. Loma Linda area is a very diverse place, but it lacks um, distinct cultural identity. Hmm. So what happens, especially in California that I found Um, And it may not be true for everybody, but what I have found is that people will adopt their food, keep their food, keep their language. But when it comes to the overall culture, everyone kind of does this melting pot idea of California culture. So the sandals, the let's go out to the beach, let's go on a hike, we're all vegan, that kind of thing. Like (laughs) That's the culture. Um, And I grew up that way. And because I'm light enough, Um, I'm light-skinned, for those who didn't guess, Um, because I'm light enough (laughs) to walk around and not have people identify me as, oh, you're a Black American. Um, I didn't really think about those things. It just wasn't, it wasn't a thought. I was as dark as the Filipinos. I was as dark as the Hispanics, so cool. Um, But it wasn't, well... Let me backtrack a little bit. Um, Unfortunately, now that I look back on my life, I can see places and things where people discriminated against me or stereotyped me because they found out I was African-American. So like in fourth grade, I was at Navidus Academy 
and um, African-American, although I didn't really know it at the time. And all of a sudden, this dark-skinned fourth grader comes in the class with us. And all of a sudden, everyone's like, hey, Amalia, you should start hanging out with him. You should date him. You should date him. And me as a fourth grader, I was like, I'm not interested in this guy. Now, this Asian, white and Asian guy is really cute, but I'm not, I'm not interested in this black guy. Um, and I never really understood the racial undertones that it had, and I don't think they were malice. I don't think they had any, like, um, intentional discrimination, but they were unintentionally putting me in this box. And it's a box I struggled with when I got to Oakwood. It was like, do I only like black men because that's what everyone has told me my whole life I'm supposed to like? Or are they actually wonderful and people I would like to marry or get to know or date? Um, so yeah, that was my California identity. Um, not really sure where I was, not really sure how it was going. Um, and then I got to Oakwood. Now Oakwood was a whole godsend thing. God literally placed it in my life. And I got there not knowing what to expect. Whole different culture, whole different group of people that I'm around. Um, East Coast African-Americans instead of the general Hispanic and Asian and white that I was around back home. And I was overwhelmed. <laughs> and it was sad to say I was overwhelmed by, by my own people. I'd never seen so many black people in a space before. And especially when it comes to the idea of black worship, getting on a more spiritual note now, I couldn't understand. I couldn't understand it. So the first year I was at Oakwood, I went to the Spanish church because it was more laid back. It was more of my style. I found it more to be worship that I could accept. Mm. Um, and it wasn't, still I, it wasn't until I started identifying my theology and stuff behind this when I started to realize that African-American worship has this beautiful thing in which they focus on a different aspect of God. Um, CCM worship was very much involved in loving God and God loves me and you know that's great I love it God is love that's beautiful yeah. but black experience because of the black experience because of the African American experience what they really pray about and what they really speak about and what their songs teach in gospel music is of a God of power a God of sovereignty again this balance of sovereignty and love and so when I started understanding mm. It was experiences, these black experiences that brought me to a different aspect of God's character that I'd never seen in another culture before. That's when I started saying, whoa. And I really started identifying it not as bad, but as a blessing. Because now I couldn't only see God as love clearly, but I could see God as sovereign clearly. That God cares about the oppressed, that he lifts up those who are humble. And I was like, oh, that's the coolest thing ever. Mm. So that was kind of my experience and where I really decided to um, call myself an African-American and to be proud about that, to be excited about that, to get really engaged with that. Um, right. I ended up running a couple of worship services on campus just because when I realized that God was so much more powerful, God had so many more expressions than I thought from only one mm. culture, mm. and I was able to really embrace the mystery of God. Um, so in the video that I, that you mentioned, um, I talk about Christ being the root, justice being the fruit. 
And I think with a lot of the stuff that's happened just over the past few months, um, it's easy to focus on solutions. The problem is in America, um, black Americans and even Canada and different colonized nations, um, black people are being institutionally oppressed. We're noticing it's not just the things people say, although it can be, it's not just the way people look at us, which it can be, but it's also systems that have been set up that are against us. And so when we're looking at these systems and we're saying the problem is a system, it's really easy to think the solution is overthrow the system, come up with a solution. We need to work. Um, but as Christians, unfortunately, well, not unfortunately, fortunately, <laughs> we have a different mindset. And my mindset is I'm walking in a space knowing I'm African-American, but I also am walking in a space knowing my identity is in Christ. And so when we come up with solutions, when we come up with the social justice aspect and stuff like that, um, I think it's always necessary to remember the hat of Christianity doesn't have to be taken off to, be put, to put the social justice hat on. It's not something you have to switch on and off. How can I be the best social justice worker? Okay, now I have to be the best Christian. The hat should be Christianity. And that Christianity should overflow into what we do in our daily lives, how we should help the oppressed, how we should reach out to those who are, who are being system, the systemically oppressed, you know? Mm. Um, how, we, how we show love to people who are differing opinions than us. Um, there's been a lot of hate and animosity around, you know, how do we, how do we give love in a space where there's no love we want to give? Because I'm pretty sure Christ went through that too. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure there's points in Jesus journey where he really just wanted to say, I don't like these Pharisees. Satan, you can come back and claim your kingdom. What? Mm, yeah. <laughs> <For sure. laughs> but what Jesus did was Jesus was like, okay. I'm going to, with the divine love that God has given me, reach out and touch these people, heal the people that need to be healed, and hold up the people that need to be held. And that's how we went through. So as Christians, that's why I said, Christ is the root, justice is the fruit. Because justice should not be what we move from. Christ should be what we move from. Mm. And we're moving towards justice, if that makes any sense. No, yeah, it does. I think like it's weird that we separate it. Like I like that you talked about which hat we put on because like the Christian hat should be outpouring into social social justice automatically. Um, do you feel like there's a reason though that people separate the, the both? Do you feel like there's a reason that people neglect like make it seem like social issues are separate from the Christian um, outreach to Christian ministry, the Christian life? Yeah, I think, unfortunately, we've made um, Christ too theological. Hmm. If you ask somebody how to be the best mom, for example, um, they're going to tell you stuff that they've heard from their mom. They're going to tell you stuff that they've heard from the self-help book. They're going to tell you... Um, just stuff that they learned from experience. But unfortunately, when you ask somebody how to be the best mom, <clears throat> there's quite a, there's not a, 
there's only a little small group of people that will exclaim, well, I put on my Christian hat and that's how I'm the best mom. Mm -hmm. For some reason, for some disastrous reason, I think that is Satan, Satan has produced. We think that Christianity is this great little internal thing that we can harness to keep us in, in check and sane. But when we go about our different functions, when we go about our different activities, when we go about our different hats that we have, we have to take off this Christian one or put it in the back burner. Wow. Mm. And that's honestly why people have such a hard problem with associating, we need to help those who are oppressed with the message of the gospel of salvation. And it's because we don't realize that being a Christian should flood the entirety of our lives not just the spiritual components, but every aspect of what we do. Wow. We've separated them and that's become dangerous. You're right. Like I've never really talked to someone. Like, it's so rare uh, that people say they're good at what they do because they're Christian. It's always like a book or uh, some speaker that they listen to. And I'm not saying that there's no um, motivation in those things, but we rarely point it back to our Christian walk. We separate them. And that's a danger. That's a big yeah. danger. Wow. Um, just a closing. I'm just, uh, that's a lot to unpack there. I'm thinking like I could go off on it for a long time, but um, just for the sake of time. And thank you so much, Molly, just for sharing um, just so much on what we need to be doing as Christians um, and uh, sharing your story. Uh, but, in closing, if there's listeners who are struggling um, and who do separate the two, like they're, uh, they separate Christ uh, outside of their spiritual things and they separate Christ from their, their view on, on social op oppression or social justice and they separate Christ from their day-to-day -day work, um, what advice would you give someone to make Christ all of, of, of holistic, to make Christ holistic to them? Um, <laughs> this is going to sound a little weird, but I would have them write down a list of what they hate about God. Mm. Um, I've mm. had quite a few, yeah, a few Bible study candidates that I've talked talk to. And that's the, one of the first questions I ask them is what do you hate about God? And a lot of things, times we don't think about this question. It's like, why would, why would, I can't hate God. <laughs> you know? Like, what do you mean? That's not a possibility. But it's really like, no, your perspective on who God is, what do you, what do you hate about that? Do you hate that God's checking you? Do you hate how God gives grace to people that are unlike you? Mm. What do you hate? And when you're honest with yourself about the character of God and what you hate, some of it may be misperceptions. Others of it may just be because we haven't understood the power of grace. Um, and so those who are listening and, and are struggling, I would just invite them to write down that list and be honest with themselves and try to figure out on that list, what are misperceptions? What you do you think is God's character and it's not actually in there? And then, what do you actually have a problem with with God? And why do you have that problem? Is it because of how somebody's treated you in your past? Is it because you can't accept yourself for who you are? Um, and I, I think that list isn't a solve-all thing, but it definitely gets you started on the process of realizing who you are in Christ. Mm.
Thank you. Thank you so much. Let me stop.